0: As educators, it's so important that we share great career ideas with our students while we're doing those great projects with our kids. Today's episode combines both. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Each episode features educators sharing their practical ideas to put more science, technology, engineering, and math into every classroom every day. For show notes and more information, visit dailystem.com. Here's your host, Chris Woods. Well, educators, I'm so excited. This is a very different episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. We've never talked with an industrial designer. Today, we get to chat with Dan Klitzner. He is the inventor of some games that you and your kids have probably played before. We're going to talk about how games are made, how games can be used, and, and what really those do in the in the mind of a of a child and an adult, too. Welcome to the show today, Dan.
1: Thank you, Chris. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Yeah. And, and first off, you're, you're an industrial designer, you know, an educator, maybe thinking, I've, I've heard those words, but, but what does that mean as a career? Because honestly, this is something that our kids would love as a career.
1: Well, in high school, I didn't know what it was. I'd never really heard of it. But I can say that I would have been miserable if I didn't discover it because I was the kind of kid that liked to build things. I liked to figure things out. And uh, I remember a high school counselor saying, oh, you should go into architecture. And Mm -hmm. I, it didn't, It's like, I said, that's not what I want to do. Like, it didn't appeal to me at all to design houses and things. And so since then, I've come up with a way when I talk at high schools, I say, does anyone, I'm an industrial designer. Does anyone know what that is? And no one will raise their hand. Mm -hmm. I'll say, who knows what an architect does? And they all raise their hand. Yeah. What do they design? Buildings, houses. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, we design everything else. (laughs) That is honestly the best way to explain industrial design. And so you say, look around the classroom, see that clock, see that chair, see that eraser, see that, you know, little detail on your pen. Like literally, if it's not a house or a building, someone designed these things. And to do that, they needed a lot of the skills that you're learning that you don't even understand. This is is an option that once I discovered it, I was just ecstatic.
0: And and for a lot of kids, that's that connection between like STEM and the arts that that visual that design part that, that so many of our kids love, and they think you know arts and STEM they they seem like a little bit two different things, but they're really not like in what you're doing, right,
1: Dan? That's right. Three dimensions. The key to me is as an industrial designer, I I was drawn to it because of ergonomics, things that feel good in your hands or how you use things. That's what's different about it than architecture. It's mm-hmm. a it's more about your hand and your tactile experience. And I was just always drawn to that, more sculptural type of things. And But I knew I didn't want to be an artist. I really knew I wanted to problem solve, figure things out, and that's what invention is. Mm-hmm. And obviously, science, technology, engineering, math, yeah. those all are part of invention. But what you're forgetting when you say those words, none not one of those words sounds like three dimensions. No. You have to apply the three-dimensional side of things to it to really understand how important that is and it's been the secret to many of the successful things I've
0: created and, and right there, Dan Klitzner, again, you have created some phenomenal games that a lot of us have used in our classrooms, like Bop It, like Perplexus, like uh, your brand new game Freefall, which you can find teachers at, at thinkfun.com. We love those Think Fun games. If you're a STEM teacher, you know, Rush Hour and, and different things like that. But how cool to be able to make those things that kids aren't just, you know, playing flat, but playing three-dimensionally.
1: That is the key. The games I say, I have one trick and I've used it over and over again. And, <laughs> and it's, is watch the player, not the game. Okay. Watch the kid, not the toy. It's this yeah. idea that make a game that animates the person. And that's very different. Bop it came out of this idea of watching kids play games with their thumbs, a little, little LCD games back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. and Like, how can I create a game that makes you use big motions more three-dimensional bop, twist, pull. These are all these are not just your thumbs. And what happens is it's fun to watch them. It's not fun to watch someone on their phone with their thumbs. It's fun no. to watch right. So Perplexus, same thing. It took a flat mace, made it three-dimensional. Free fall is just the new game we have with Think Fun, is all about taking that problem solving and making you think in three dimensions. It's it does a lot of things for your mind because. You can just see the switch go off in someone's head when they play a game that has a three-dimensional element. It engages something completely different, and it makes you problem-solve in three dimensions, which is one of the most important things to learn for any STEM element. That, That is like the overlay that's missing from many, many, I think, types of education on STEM.
0: Yeah and and you mentioned dan educators are you know thinking about how do i build some of that problem solving into a classroom and and all those things in a classroom that have been made you know and that's a, the work of an industrial designer more and more teachers are are getting kids to do projects like let's build some sort of assistive device let's build something that's like prosthetics so many teachers are thinking how do i get kids to to create something even a simplified version of something like that but those skills come from Those types of three-dimensional games and seeing how things are built and made in in three-dimensional space. Now, you don't just design a game like it's all in your head. You actually make a prototype. Uh, Talk a little bit about, because I think some kids, some teachers would really find that interesting.
1: Yes, prototyping. You know, it's often people say, oh, do you just use a computer? Do you just use a 3D printer? you say well what you know like you just squirt it out of some sort of a algorithm <laughs> was yeah. like, uh no I take foam core and I cut it up or I'll take I use all those things but it's about using the right thing for the right problem solving or ideation so I know this is an audio podcast but I'm holding up the prototype of freefall mm-hmm. which started as sort of a mix between perplexus and gravity maze mm-hmm. which they have where, how do you solve what this three-dimensional maze should be by dropping a marble from one beaker to the next? Originally there were these beakers by rotating it in three-dimensional space. Now, when I say that, you know, for people that don't know the game, it sounds very complicated, but it's kind of like if you've ever taken a ball and dropped it out of a one cup and tried to catch it in the other cup yeah. through the air. But now we're doing that in three dimensions. How do you solve where to put those cups on a on a frame? so that they line up. And all the things you have to do in your brain to do that, you know think about that compared to a linear type of problem solving. So to make that, I can't just design that on a computer. I have to take foam core and hot glue and you know, plastic and glue it together. And while I'm making that prototype, that's when my mind is working. It's not like I draw, okay, I'm gonna draw it and make this. For every game I've invented, uh including Bop It, including Perplexus, it took an idea and then hacking away sometimes with the most elemental materials. Yeah. To you know, anything, a rudimentary three-dimensional model is worth, you know, it's like a picture's worth a thousand words, but a three-dimensional <laughs> model is worth like a million, you know. I yeah, know exactly. You know, it's it really is now it's in your hands. Now you can rotate it. Now you can See the physics of it when you drop something on it or through it. So that was just that's just been my process forever. And it's why I was attracted to this profession in the first place is that it, all, it deals with three dimensional tactile things, uh, you know, in a classroom to let people think in 3D, play with objects is incredibly important.
0: Yeah, and and I'm thinking some educators like wow, that sounds like a very fascinating game. It's a little bit hard to visualize, but I tell you what, uh, I got a copy of it, and and I let my students just like take it out of the box and try to figure it out. Some eighth grade students, and and they figured it out, figured out the steps, uh, and we weren't even looking at a video yet. There's no videos yet, so definitely educators check out the the links in the show notes that you can you can see some of the what it looks like and find out some more information about it. I remember that that game as a kid uh, where the you tilt the board and the the marble rolls through, and you try to get it from you know yeah. one you know all the way to the end that kind of labyrinth type game that's what it reminded me of but a little bit more in in 3D and and for some educators i mean that's that algorithm aspect how do you go from step 1 to step 2 to step 3 which we want to be able to reinforce and what better way to do it than with a game
1: yeah that's the example i use a lot for perplexus which is I just again my one trick you take something that's flat and you say what if this was three dimensional yeah. and your mind you know even if you don't come up with a hit game the process your mind goes through to visualize how would i make this three dimensional think of think of all the things that requires mostly in the physics side natural intuitive physics mm-hmm. that most people have inside them but you have to challenge them with the right problem and when you take i think it's very effective to take something existing like what if we took this flat marble maze and made it Mm three-dimensional and the old brainstorming technique of yes and if it was three-dimensional that means you'd have to turn it in your hand yes and that means you'd have to you know like you'd have to come up with clips that could attach in a certain way and like you just have to let it flow for a while and when you're teaching things like that it's it's you know how do you teach that with you you need mock-ups and you need hands-on teaching
0: and and if a teacher is thinking about, you know, just having game design as part of maybe uh, an elective class, maybe it's just a, a unit that you do where you're trying to draw in some of those other things, it can really be cross-curricular because, you know, you have to write instructions, you have to be able to prototype it, so you have to make it, you have to think about what materials you're made out of, you have to think about how to how to make that game, like we said, very uh, enjoyable. What's the probability of winnings? You're drawing in some math things. And, and, and if kids are interested in, in making games, there's a, there's a lot of ways that they can kind of get into that, right?
1: Yeah, there is. An, and uh, in fact, I, my wife and I run a thing called the Young Inventor Challenge through a very amazing organization, People of Play. And if you go to the People of Play website that we run every year in November, it's kind of like the Oscars of the toy industry. That weekend, and part of it is I get all the inventors, like the perfect, the best inventors in the world, toy and game inventors, are the judges. Oh and wow! Men, so when kids enter in this, and anyone can enter, any classroom or teacher can run. Uh, there's a curriculum book that you can run it as a class, and a few of the schools do this that have won. So kids create games or toys based on these challenges, and like Hasbro, Mattel, Spin Master, you know, all these companies are the sponsors so that if you if your kids come up with something good uh, there have been games every year they get picked and made by those companies wow. which is pretty impressive but but more than that the way that kids are challenged for those games is that they have to present it it's their presentation skills it's mm-hmm. not just you know we have awards for that we have awards for you know creativity versus content you know mm-hmm. when you say about games a game isn't just about the process of making it it's what is it is the game teaching something of course so yeah. many people do a game that teaches uh, coding or it'll teach some other aspect um, it's amazing i'm blown away by the creativity that i see that's why i do it i do it to mentor kids but often the mentor learns more than the mentee you know it's it's just yeah. the way it works as a teacher you know that so that's a great if you're interested in that side of things, the people who play Young Inventor Challenge is a, is a great thing to run in your classroom.
0: That's awesome, Dan. And again, thank you for uh, doing stuff like that, first of all. But educators will have those links in the show notes as well, so you can click on those and find out about that information. Maybe you want to, maybe, maybe you don't want to do it at November. It doesn't work, but you could say, hey, let's just kind of adapt these materials and let's make our own little kind of game challenge here in our classroom. And uh, again that whole stem education aspect you know that that science technology engineering and math a lot of that can can be built off of games can bring in again some of that arts and that that creativity that sometimes gets overlooked in in our classrooms
1: yeah i agree you know having people play is one aspect as you said taking a game like freefall or perplexus and just letting people's minds start to open up to 3d but then solving you know, there's all these aspects of, of challenging students. I think one of the most important things to become, and where industrial design sort of focuses on it, is thinking three-dimensionally about human factors and engineering and all that in a very different way than it's very applied. And yep. so a game is an easy thing for kids to relate to. I use the Bop It notoriety as the inventor mm-hmm. of Bop It on my, not just on my social media, but you know, my goal is to sort of, because so many people know that game and they relate to it, is how to use that as a springboard to get people interested in not really becoming a toy inventor, but I think industrial design, product design is sort of the area that students that don't know that it exists as I was are kind of miserable looking at their future going, but I don't like those subjects. I don't really want them. You go, but if they're all part of this three-dimensional thing, you'll see that division between kids that think three-dimensionally versus kids that think more reading or like it's, it's really important because it's mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been overlooked by a lot of people. Like when a counselor says, well, how about architecture? And the kid goes, nah, that isn't, that doesn't yep. do it for me. You need to know that this is an incredibly important field. Yeah, and that's
0: exactly what happened to you, Dan. Um, I love mm. that. I, I still, I mean, that story is just the perfect one, I think, for a lot of us as educators. You know, we may think, oh, yeah, th- I know these 10 careers, but there are so many more that could really uh, spark an interest mm. in our kids, and uh, awesome that you found that. Again, chat with Dan Klistner, industrial designer, uh, toy maker, game maker, games like Free Fall, New, on Think ThinkFun, and Perplexus, and, and Bop It. So I, I want to go back to that because you said that's that's kind of your top game you know at bop it inventor you can find on social media of course those are in the show notes as well but you took that and and you made all these variations and and you even have you know here as 25th anniversary of that game uh, bop it for good and bop and you're using it with kids that maybe just uh, can't see very well but they could still play
1: right yeah let me uh See if I can frame that for you. The um, When Bop It was first, when I first came out with Boppet, It, I did it for all the reasons I strive. Tactile, audio, you know, I love music and the beat, all the yep. things people relate to. What I didn't know was that in the first month, a news story about this game, they found this new game, Bop It, that Schools for the Blind were finding was was a favorite game. The newscaster looked down, these two kids were playing Bop it, and she says to one of the girls... What's it like to play this game when you can't see being blind? And the girl says, I'm not the one that's blind. She is. The other girl was blind. And it really like the light bulb explosion of, wow, here's a game. I had no idea when I created it that it would not only could kids play it with or without vision, but the people watching them play couldn't tell who was blind. Wow. You realize how important that is. When I've talked to people that are blind or low vision about this, they go, that's it. That's the point: is creating things where the observers don't judge who's blind and who isn't blind. And now we're all connected, which is what a game is supposed to do in the first place: is connect yeah. people, yeah. maybe of, of different abilities or different ages. So, since that time, I've I've always followed that and and encouraged people and done a lot of things with the blind community. But but the twenty fifth anniversary. My wife and I started BopItForGood.com and are working with Lighthouse for the Blind in San Francisco being parts of events where we really focus on just fun and creativity for that incredible creative community. And the BopIt button, which is the that we're selling, is a single button BopIt. It It takes more attention span than any BopIt you've ever played. So if you really want to challenge your students to attention span contests, the only commands are BopIt don't bop it. Do bop it. Do not bop it. So wow. it's a one button. You either bop or you don't. But of course, you have to really pay attention. I'm just going to play one little bit of it so you can hear it. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. Bop it. You hear the different rhythms. Bop it. Wow. Bop it. It won't. Bop. bop it. Bop it. It's not saying don't bop it. Bop it. it. Don't <laughs> bop it. Yeah. Um, no. Score <laughs> fifteen. So High, score fifteen. So you'll hear all these sounds from the past built into this button. Yeah, that went an extraordinary long time before it gave me a don't bop it. But yeah. you can. That's the challenge: is bop it, bop it, different rhythms. Don't bop it. Do not bop it. Do bop it, and it hesitates. So you think it's easy but it's literally one button and if you have like kids that are
0: need need some help with their attention span <laughs> I am
1: I want I'm, you to get 100 on this button right that's it's only 48 seconds to get to 100 now I want you to get to 300 it's you know almost 3 minutes of attention span and it's really interesting when you watch people drop into it with this product because they they all of a sudden get very quiet and they just start to they only have to focus on one thing Yes or no, do it or yeah. don't do it. But yeah. what they're doing is, it's a very different kind of attention span. There's no physical challenge. It's just yeah. touch it, bop it or don't bop it. So we're very excited about this product. And what I did with that lighthouse for the blind is I, because it's just a button, put magnets on the back and made a wall to spell braille characters with the buttons. Wow. And it's seven feet long and it uses like 32 buttons. Yeah. And we set it up so that they could rub their hand over it, and if they could figure out the word in braille, this is for teaching students. They got to they got to set off all the buttons at once. <laughs> Let me tell you, yeah, I, I, do you want me to touch a few buttons? And- <laughs> I
0: I think we can all understand. <laughs> we're 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 teachers. That might be a little bit yeah. traumatic for some of us to hear all those you kids. Know,
1: it vo- was just an example of it's saying you know I didn't yeah. know this was going in that direction, but in terms of taking games, using them to teach people that are differently abled. Yeah. It is a another field, another area that the best things, the best experiences are ones that aren't special for someone who's differently able. They mm-hmm. are absolutely equal and it's hard yeah. to find those, but I'd say that's yeah. a, that's the challenge that I'm interested in, in the future is creating yeah. more games. Uh, bop It was sort of an accident, that mm-hmm. but it led to BopItForGood.com, which is sort of committed to Bop It and other games that that let people connect no matter what their abilities are.
0: That's awesome. Uh, Dan, um, just incredible. I mean, just thinking through the the mind of of an industrial designer and 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 thinking how many of our students really could um, have their mind uh, blown by uh, the idea of a career that gets to look at whether it's games or whether it's the chairs and tables and and better seating for the kids in our classroom. It doesn't matter what it is or, or make it just a car feel more comfortable as you sit in it. All those things have mm-hmm. that industrial design aspect and, and what a great career idea. And again, a lot of that can come back to playing a game and then, okay, kids, let's stop and think about it. How did you feel as you played that game? What what did you like about the game? What worked? What didn't work? Reflecting on that yeah. could be a great learning process too.
1: It is the, the game itself, as I said, not just the process of inventing this game. But when, in a way, when you play free fall, it, it is making you think a bit like an industrial designer because mm-hmm. you have to figure out where to clip these things and what angles should they be. And it's yeah. a very different type of puzzle it is. than, uh, like, rush hour or something, which mm-hmm. is which is more of a flat. So yep. that adding that three dimensional element is truly a challenge. That uh, I, it's hard for me. You know, like I like you. You can invent a game, but often it doesn't mean you're the best one at it. No. Uh, you know, so so I found, as I told you in the beginning, I just got one of the final production units and I'm pretty excited about it. It's it's a cool mm. challenge.
0: Yeah, it really is. Educators uh, definitely check out Freefall. Again, you can find it, you know, any anywhere games and, and toys are sold. ThingFun.com, Great site for so many games. Educators, we have those great games. Don't forget to get those games to bring them in your classroom, but also grab a Perplexus, grab a Bop It. And then I got to get one of those Bop It buttons for my classroom because I can think of a couple of kids already that I want to challenge them uh, with that. So Dan Klitzner, industrial designer, but um, just just doing a lot of good. And educators, I would also definitely just encourage you to check out BopItForGood.com and and think about some of those things and, and some of those other links that we talked about in the show notes as well. Any any other last thoughts, Dan, for the educators, for those kids out there?
1: You know, my heart really goes out to kids that are don't know what they want to do. Yeah. It's the worst feeling. And I was one of those kids and I'm, I got lucky that I sort of found something and it doesn't have to be industrial design. I just think to me, that's the biggest thing is how do you inspire kids to, to figure out, to have a light bulb go off mm-hmm. and say, that's what I want. Cause my theory or experience is if you know what you want, you truly, nothing will stop you from getting it. The tr- yeah. It isn't how to get there. It's knowing what we want in life. Mm-hmm. What do you want? And so, uh, that's my word to educators mm. is how can you make sure that the, you know, getting people exposed to enough things that you'll catch the kids that say, that's it. That's for me, whatever that thing might be. To me, that's everything that the rest will draw you and motivate mm. you to learn the things you need to get there. Yeah. But if you don't know where you're going, you will, it, it's all lost. So yeah. that's my, you know, my mission with what I'm trying to do is make sure we catch up kids early enough so that they see it, even if they change their mind later, knowing what you want is the most powerful thing.
0: That's awesome. Dan Klitzner, really appreciate and uh, just keep up the great work that you're doing.
1: Thanks, Chris. I'm really honored to be on your show and look forward to more.
0: All right. Educators, again, thanks for listening to this episode of STEM Every Day Podcast. Remember, uh, check out all those links in the show notes. Uh, and again, subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a review. It helps more educators to find out about great stuff like all the great things that Dan is doing with toys, making those fun atmospheres, that those fun engagement things that we can do in our classrooms as well. And again, if you need to connect with me, head to dailystem.com. And until then, just keep doing that most important thing, helping each and every kid each and every day to get excited about their learning.